Hello and welcome to episode two of the Cleontel podcast. I'm your host, Robin Allender, and this week I will be continuing my chat with Alistair McLean and James Hornsey from the band as they give me a track-by-track guide to the brilliant new album, I Am Not There Anymore. I saw the band at Rough Trade last week and they were on fine form. The new songs sounded great, particularly uh, Garden Eye Mantra, which was pumping. Uh, so definitely worth catching them live. The US tour starts on the 9th of August. And they have also recently added some dates in Paris, Liverpool, Leeds and Glasgow in October and November and a London show in January next year. So head over to theclientel.co.uk for more info. Also, a few really good interviews with Alistair about the album came out last week. I'll post the links in the uh, episode description, but definitely worth checking out the one on ourculturemag.com and a brilliant interview by Audrey Golden on Louder Than War. Audrey will feature on an upcoming episode of the podcast, so you've got that to look forward to. Anyway, on with the show. We go through the album track by track, but get a little out of sequence at times. But uh, let's start with the brilliant first song, Fables of the Silver Link. First track, Fables of the Silver Link. We've discussed it a bit with James, but you know, if this is the White Album, this is the Happiness is a Warm Gun, maybe, because <laughs> it's an incredible song with multiple parts. And James mentioned this idea that he didn't want any part to repeat. Yeah, that was the idea. That so th- there's bits in that song that were songs that I was writing before the, the session started. So the end bit about like da 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 da. That's that was a song on its own, and 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 then there was another bit that was a song on its own, and and I was like, I hate these songs. They're so boring, you know. They they just don't mean anything. They're they're pretty, and um, it's just it's spoiling it's spoiling everything. It's spoiling the the stuff that I've done before. I don't want. And then I thought, well, I'll just put them all together then. Mm. <laughs> don't get them to repeat. I mean, there obviously are repetitions in the song. There's a repetition of that kind of modal cello line at mm. the start. And there's there's a reputation of a bit that's in the key of E with all the trumpets, but as as much as possible, I didn't want a verse, chorus, verse, chorus. I wanted it to evolve and mutate almost mm. in the way that maybe some writers write or poets write, where each section is dissonant with the next section. You know, mm. I, don't, I don't mean dissonant in terms of notes. I mean dissonant in terms of meanings that you can't really quite understand it. And so the Silver Link is a railway line. And it goes from um, Edmonton across to Kew. And it was a line that I was riding a lot at, at, in 1997 mm. because I was my mum my and dad were coming up in their car to Kew and I was, I was living in some far-flung part of Dalit Dogs, I think, at the time. But that line would take me to, to meet them halfway. And it was quite a long journey and I knew my mum was very ill and I was just thinking about everything that happened to me up until that time as I went on that line and, and just, you know, daydreaming. And so that's kind of what the song's about in a way, mm. you know. That, that, that it's an autobiography because it mentions the names of people, it mentions things that happened, but they're glimpses. They're like little cameos, yeah. gemstones, you know, like uh, with with the, facets, with the facets carved and they, they come into the light and then they go away again. And, mm. and I think that's... I don't know. I find that beautiful. I find 
not saying I find my own song beautiful, but I find that approach beautiful because it says something about memory and it says something about um, how you how you kind of order your life in a way emotionally. So so that's that song, and it's it's a pretty big, heavy, difficult song mm. that's very long, uh, and really is the first song just as a massive like. F you, you know, yeah. just like, if you don't like this, don't listen to any more, yeah. you know. But I, I love the last line of uh, I don't know why, because it's great to have, you know, all these words, there's a, a huge number of lyrics in different languages as well, and then to end it with I don't know why, it's just great, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's fantastic. There's a bit, bit of a nod to the go-betweens I heard in there, the... Uh, Oh yeah! Now you mentioned it. Yeah. That before. I thought that was more. That's like the the flute and uh, cello line in the section in D. Mm. Uh, but I was thinking of it was more like forever changes. Mm. But, but yeah, you're right. There is definitely a, a, a yeah it's stolen from the Gobies. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, when I first heard it, I was like, I recognise that, and it took me weeks to work out. What it was. <laughs> but no, I thought it was a deliberate nod almost. What song is it? I, I, love is a sign. Oh, oh yeah, really? yeah, yeah, you're mm. right. I love that song too. Yeah. Sorry, Robert. Sorry. We should try to hear whether that is in this. I'll have a listen later. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, but no, I, I, I love that. And um, it, yeah, beautiful song. And that, and it kind of introduces as well some of the rhythmic elements as well because there's the clapping and sort of polyrhythmic things. It almost looks forward to dying in May as well. Yeah, there's the clapping is from. Uh, it's a flamenco pattern um, that I just nicked from from a recording, and I wrote it down, notated it, and that's and so we, I just copied it, <laughs> and then had to move my claps into, into the rhythm. Yeah. A bit. That's nice. but, um, yeah. yeah, so there's that kind of like I think it's Phrygian mode singing there, yeah. and um, and that's uh, Alicia Alicia McInnes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's nice. It's very different from my voice, and mm. then it goes into the next bit, which is more string quartet, typical kind of clientele thing, you know. Mm. So it's a nice contrast, I suppose. Amazing song. And another line I thought I really liked was steel runs crack, which reminded me there's a line in Astral Weeks about where immobile steel rims crack. Just the, the sound of those words. The song Astral Weeks is another one where it seems to be very much about childhood, but it is just images and there's no yeah. coherent story. Yeah. Something of that there. I'm being well. caught out left, right and centre. No. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think I might need legal representation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah Van, Van the Man's probably quite litigious, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. he probably is. <laughs> no, Thanks you, for that, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you say steel runs. I mean, he says yeah. steel rims. Come there on. you go. I've got a lawyer now. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Ed Sheeran's going to make an appearance. But I, was yeah. thinking, I was thinking of railway lines, ah, like, okay, yeah. like um, the, the 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 points in a railway, I mm. suppose, um, at night. Yeah, maybe that's what he was thinking too. Yeah, there's something of that. We'll take it to court. Yeah. <laughs> radial songs with Mark on the piano are very beautiful interludes. Are they, are they improvised or are they...? 
No, I think they're very much composed, aren't they? Yeah, they're not yeah. improvised. Um, he he was yeah no he he was very repetitive about them. He was recording them because he was a piano tuner and he works in a piano shop in Bath. Mm. And there's a lot of um, uh, by his account, there's a lot of nice old pianos. And I was saying just record stuff. So he was recording it on his phone. Um, and in the end, we just said, like, come up to Snap Studios, which is a big studio in Harringay, really, really nice place. And they have a grand piano, and we hired in a Celesta, and we just left him there for the day. And when he was done, that's what he came back to us with, right. you know. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I mean, I, I play, I've played him or lent him CDs before, which are like Michael John Fink or, um, you know, kind of post-minimalist stuff, post-Satie stuff, but... I don't know if I don't know if he cares about that. I don't know where the ideas for these. I'm things not come sure. From. I don't know. Um, there's a Keith Charity quality to them as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a very ECM thing, but it would not surprise me if he didn't know who Keith Charity yeah, was. Exactly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very mysterious. Very spooky as well. Isn't aren't they? Mysterious and spooky man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <is he? laughs> I've never met. I've never met the third. The third element of Cleontale. He'll have his own episode. At some yeah. Point, so. Yeah. But um, they do have a, the Celeste has an inherently spooky sound. Though, yeah, isn't it? yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it was there's a there's a record by Michael John Fink called For Celeste. That's what gave me the idea to um, to try and get hold of one so that we could see how Mark's pieces sounded. But it's actually quite hard to play. I think the the action is very, you know, it's not as smooth and silky like a grand piano. Mm. It's more like a percussion instrument. He, um, yeah, he did quite well with that. But you can hear him rattling the keys yeah. on the recording, you know, which is quite nice. That's nice, yeah. yeah. And also, again, going back to felt, there is that Martin Duffy quality as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, yeah, which he will be... Uh, I think it's probably fair to say he would not be aware of Martin Duffy. He is aware of that because he filmed me playing that Martin Duffy song once. What, Magellan? Yeah, oh, on, a, on the grand piano in one of the other studios we worked in. So, um, But he probably wouldn't wasn't aware it was Martin Duffy. He probably thought I'd wrote it. But, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the next track, Garden Eye Mantra, I think is the biggest departure for the band in some ways. So this is where we have this huge sub bass in. And, you know, and then the guitar comes in and brings you back into focus. And um, and I've just got a note here, which is, are you rapping? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm singing. Yeah. I'm singing, 100% singing. <laughs> I think that with that song, it was like, um, that, that was a turning point for me because I was like, do I want to have 24, 36 bars of music before the vocals come in? So always before we've... Like with the clientele, it's been about, it's almost been about making miniatures, like these crystalline songs where you get maybe one turn of the riff, then the vocals come in, they say what they want to say, mm-hmm. and then they go away. They're very much like the three-minute pop song aesthetic. And for this, I was saying, no, we're going we're gonna to just roll it. We're going to let the whole thing will go through with the string quartet playing. And I, and I worked out the the scoring for the string quartet so that each of the instruments in the quartet took a turn with the melody and then the others took a turn with um, playing underneath and then it came to an end and there's a kind of big dub echo and then the vocals come in. Mm. And, and I thought, 
I think you seem to remember probably I don't know if it's you, James, but someone in the band was saying you sure you want to do it like this? I don't think that was me. It wasn't you. I mean, it might have been me because I was a bit worried my bass line was rather exposed once it was on, yeah. on its own there. But uh, it, it was a concern of mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> We've yeah. discussed how great the bass playing is on this, uh, this well, song. Though. I'm glad you got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing I love about this song is that those words which are kind of spoken at the end, it's like the lines subtly vary each time. Yeah. And that's that's a really lovely effect. That must be incredibly hard to memorise if you're going to do it live. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> now you mention it, yeah. Yeah, it's sung very low in my range. I have a tenor range, so it's very, very low. Uh, and I had to sing it quite quietly as a result of its, mm. its lowness. Uh, so just going to be a disaster waiting to happen live I think mm. you know <laughs> we'll see well, I, like, I like the idea because it is again it's about these snapshot of images but then because the way you're describing it changes slightly it's like you're kind of seeing it again and again in different ways or something it's the people going on to you know again in it's 1997 and it's the people in their cars going on to the M25 to to find a rave and it's watching them leave right you know yeah the hatchbacks going out to the to the to go and have fun. Wow. And leaving the town quiet. Mo- motorways are very important to you. <laughs> well, we, we live by some pretty fine ones in our town. Yeah. But <laughs> between the M3 and the M4, it's almost hard to start choosing between your kids, isn't it? They're in Rhapsody so far above. Nobody knows who the garden I love. The blue air in fever so distant and close. Nobody knows where the garden I goes. That's lovely. I didn't realise it was about that era, the kind of orbital. Yeah, you, I mean, you wouldn't have because no. it's, a, it's, a sna- it's an image, it's a snapshot. Yeah, yeah. And, but that's where the, the image came from, was watching the cars all head off from the like, pub car park yeah. and, and hit the orbital, which was probably about 15 miles. So we had the M25, the M3 and the M4. Mm. And, yeah, they were just heading off to a quarry or somewhere to... Wow. To do whatever it was they did, which I never <laughs> they, did. They didn't take out. us with them. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. I always feel like I was just slightly, <laughs> slightly too young for that. Yeah, we were just age. left in the pub car. We were just park, sat park, in yeah. the pub car talking <laughs> yeah. about Rickenbackers. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't understand it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The next song on the album is Segway 4, a beautiful interlude made up of field recordings. Oh, it starts with a load of Brooks, which mm. were in... Um, Hampstead Heath, and then it goes to somebody playing the piano when there are marbles on the piano strings, mm. right? So the marbles are going, jumping around, and that's how where that sound comes from. And then there's a couple of opera sh- opera singers uh, recorded uh, at the at the Royal Opera House, and then there's. Um, a drone in C, which is from Kew Gardens. There's um, there's like a, an installation at Kew Gardens which buzzes like bees. Now bees apparently buzz in C natural at 440 hertz. 
according to the guy who made this installation. So they always buzz at this particular, uh, you know, tone. And so it's the sound of, of bees buzzing in C. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Kind of pointless too. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> You've used field recordings before that on, on previous records. There's a yeah. lovely one at, at K from Strange Geometry. It sounds like yeah. a kind of choir recorded in a church, maybe. What do you think those field recordings add to an album? Well, they've, the way of using them has changed because to start with, they, they kind of gave you a break between songs, you know, like you could, you could look at somewhere else and then look back at the songs, you know, and it also gave, anchored it to a place and time, which was really important for me. Like I wanted a kind of a lived, it's the sound of a lived moment, isn't it? It's the sound of the air and the echoes in a particular moment. And to put that on a record, I think, is such a beautiful gesture. I love mm. it, you know. Um, but but this record, a lot of the songs are based from, they come from field recordings. So you find rhythms in field recordings and you can manipulate those digitally. Mm. And that forms the basis of the song, which I love even more. Mm. So it's not based on guitar patterns. It's based on things you've recorded of the world and um so the, the way that we use field recordings has changed slightly you know but it's always good to stick one in earlier on in the earlier on in the records get the you know people like the field recording fans <laughs> they you give them something you know to, to whet their appetite for the rest of the album I love the sound of rooks, mm. right? Because it reminds me of The Dark is Rising, you know, right. the, yeah. the children's book. The rooks are kind of um, the, 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 the first visible sign of this shape-shifting mm. force called the dark. And, and so the sound of rooks always brings me back to that book and the magic of that book and how I inhabited it, that book and almost believed it was real and wanted to believe it was real for, for so many years. <laughs> Until I was at least um, 12 or 13. And so the, the sound of rooks brings me back to that straight away. Amazing. Yeah. Guess guess when my birthday is? Uh, December 21st. Oh, my God. Are yeah. you the seventh son of a seventh son? Sadly not, no. no. <laughs> but that's an incredible book. I've only read the one book, Dark yeah. Rising. But you've written about that as well, haven't you? You've written about this idea yeah. that you always wanted to make a film of it. Well, it was well, a rhetorical device to yeah. say that I wanted to make a film of it. No one would ever be stupid enough to let me make a film of it. <laughs> and I'm not going to push to make a film of it. But I think you could make a variety of very interesting films out of it. Yeah. And, and, I, and I do think it's a beautiful book. Mm. I mean, it's just, there's something about, this is a whole other area to talk about really, but there's something about when people write those kind of books that if they just write them with real love and they... They kind of they they look at the old legends and they look at the things that actually happened as far as we know and they look at the archaeological remnants and they base their stories very precisely upon those things. Mm. I think the stories are so much better. Mm. They're so much more beautiful than people who just kind of like make stuff up in their head, like Tolkien did, or or, or mash things together that don't mm. really make sense. You know. Um, Alan Garner and Susan Cooper, I think, just those books, they'll stay with me all my life. Mm. And I read them as a child. You know, they're just beautiful books. Chalk Flowers seems to be the song on the album that seems to be particularly influenced by Garner yeah. and Susan Cooper. Can you talk a bit more? I know we're jumping ahead, but can you talk a bit more about that 
that song? Because I said to James earlier, I, th- I think that's almost like the centerpiece of the album for me. Well, it comes after that really dissonant uh, piece, my childhood. So I was like, oh, I better put something with three chords in now. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, the Spotify revenue will go down. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, that song is, is a story, right? But it's a story that's fragmented and told almost backwards or out of, out of order, um, out, of, out of sync. Um, but it's the story of meeting someone and then, and then leaving someone and all the while behind it, there's the whole kind of the king sleeping in the hill, which is a big part of of the Alan Garner and the Susan Cooper mm. books, which is the, the the just the beautiful legend of you know King Arthur going under the hill and with his knights and sleeping and waiting until he he can come back out, mm. and so the anticipation that they will come out, you know, is I just think it's wonderful, and there's so much other supplementary the book books ideas songs stories that have been built on top of it you know from the kind of the fisher king in the wasteland and um from ritual to romance by jesse weston and and stuff but the the song is really as i always lived that and i loved that idea and i loved because there were hills near where we grew up and i loved the idea that you know in this empty town that i lived in there were you bring those ideas into the emptiness, you know, like you, you start to populate the emptiness with your own imagination. And that's what I did there with things like King Arthur being a, a, in a little hill that, that, that was just outside our town that maybe that's the tumulus where, where he's laid to rest, you know, mm. and because a lot of the, the Victorian um, ideas of King Arthur with the, you know, Arthur Hughes did a, a picture called Night of the Sun, which has red leaves and a, and a lake. It looks like Fleet Pond. It's like King Arthur is being put to rest in Fleet Pond, yeah. you know? And it is funny, but at the same time, it's a, such a beautiful idea because you can then combine it with, like, you're trying to get to sleep, like, half a mile away, and the wind's blowing the curtains in, and you can't sleep, and you're a, you're a boring person in a boring place. But you can imagine King Arthur being laid to rest by the by the lake, you know, half a mile away in your suburban town. Putting those things together, I still love it so much. I love that idea. Yeah. And and um, so this song has that as the background, but it's also about Edinburgh. So the para- the palaces and priest holes, you know, that's Edinburgh, and that's mm. about leaving Edinburgh and, and going away and deciding this is not somewhere that I can survive. This is not somewhere I want to live. You know, it's that decision. So, and going back to the chalk flowers, the, the downs, mm. you know, where near where we we came from so i suppose that's what that's that song's about if it's about anything a horseman on a ridge lay though he's imaginary and over to the west a king sleeps in the hill the, the amazing line in that song I think is the one about Oromorph and simple childhood games because it seems to be almost this feverish quality as well like there is something of that you mentioned that earlier that the clarity you get in fevered dreams there seems yeah. to be that element to it the, what I love about Alan Garner and Susan Cooper who I came to quite late although I went read Weirdstone when I was when I was younger um but you know Redshift or um the Dark is Rising, they're, they're very difficult books. They're very inscrutable again, aren't they? And they're also incredibly frightening. 
you know, they're really quite quite shocking in a way you kind of almost wouldn't expect for children's literature. And, and it's strange to think of them as being children's literature as well. Yeah, I mean, what does Alan Gunner say? They're literature for children of all ages. Yes. And, and, and Alan Gunner went on to become, you know, Booker-nominated yeah. um, adult author and with all the same things that he, that were made his children's books so beautiful mm. that, that, that they're in his adult books too. I think he's the greatest writer of his generation. Mm. I mean, and what, 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 of English anyway, what, what competition is there, right? Martin Amos, you know. Mm. Um, I, I don't think there's a writer that can better him. So, mm. um, Have you read any Diane Wynne-Jones? Diana, not Diane, sorry. Um, I've, I've read a little bit to mm. my son, but I don't know it well. But Jessica from The Would Be Goods, who does the, the speaking on a lot of the tracks on this record, recommended i mean jessica knows everything about literature so <laughs> right. she recommended diana wind jones she said I should, yeah. I should read it yeah yeah i mean there's a very good backlisted pod we're getting kind of quite on a tangent here <laughs> yeah. but there's a very good backlisted podcast about a book of hers called fire and hemlock which is absolutely brilliant and again you can't quite believe it was a children's book because there's yeah. so much going on it's so layered it's like Part of it's based on the four quartets by T.S. Eliot, which every small child knows off by heart. <laughs> I was read it in a cradle. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I think she's up there with the great children's authors for me, I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Yeah. You know, there's something about popular culture that when if you, something you experience when you're young mm. and and you can't ever unexperience it. And if and if a lot of people experience it at the same time, you have something to be shared. This is one of the great beauties of popular culture that that, that lyrics say in a song that are actually perhaps quite clumsy or mm. quite, you know, just gauche, suddenly become mysteriously powerful yeah. because they remind us of when we were young, you know, and um, and not like young in the sense of having fun in the disco, the, the true mis- the mystery of being young. That's one of the really magical things about experiencing those books when I was young. That that like they they can't be taken away now. The way I, the way I I experienced them then, that just became part of me, you know. And that 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 and that goes into everything I do. It goes into the songs I write. On the album, it feels like this is the first time we get to familiar territory after yeah. the first four tracks. Yeah, so Lady Grey, um, there is something stolen from that. It's from the great poet and musician Martin Newell, mm. who uh, was in a band called The Cleaners from Venus, right, Yeah, who I admire unreservedly. Um, and he had a song called The Green Gold Girl of Summer. It's a beautiful song. It, it has a, a big guitar solo by Captain Sensible from The Damned at the end. Mm. We are digressing now, though. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I took that. Like, I love that idea, the green gold girl of summer, and and it was, you know, so a lot of the time I write with images, and I had, uh, and I took that image from Martin Newell, and then I thought, like, the filaments, the, the 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 bulb filaments are fried, there are wrens, there are water features, and then suddenly the whole song came, you know, from those from those images. Mm. Um, and it's about a ghost. It's about a ghost that, like, did you ever hear of the ghost of Bagwell Lane in Fleet? I'm from Cove, mate. Uh, <laughs> there might be a different ghost of Bagwell Lane in Cove. <laughs> yeah. 
But no, I didn't hear about this ghost. No. no. Well, there is a ghost. You look up ghosts of. There's a book called Ghosts of Hampshire in the Isle of Wight. You can find it in the reference section of uh, Fleet Library. Uh, you know, have a look, mate. Have a look. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's a Lady Grey ghost from who goes through the lanes of the old parts of Fleet because Fleet is a is a commuter town. It's just like a satellite town, but there are older places on the outskirts like Crondall mentioned in the doomsday book so there's this really uneasy frisson if you like between you know the the the, mo- the old monasteries that were by the pond the the, the older towns with the tudor houses you know our friend innis lived in a Tudor. it was a tudor house right or elizabethan older, or something I think, wasn't it no, it couldn't have been older than tudor yeah it's a thatched cottage anyway it's it, was, it was made of cow shit <laughs> <laughs> and uh but so yeah, so that was this is a song about like I don't know the ghost and revenants and returns. Mm-hmm. You know that's 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 what it's about. I think the all the beautiful things are opaque is a, a lyric that seems to sum up a lot of the themes in the album as well. I think. Yeah, and what and something I believe because it can't be cheapened yeah. if you don't understand it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. there's a great Hazlitt essay about. It's something like why distant objects please, like why it's nicer to look at something from far away than close up, which that's what it reminded me of. It certainly reminds me of Fleet, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> viewed from a distance. Um, bazooki solo, is that right? Bazooki solo, yeah, <laughs> one on every album. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Are you going to get the roadie to come out with the bazooki? <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it's uh, my sister lived in Greece for a while, and she brought me back a bazooki. Which is, is a Greek bazooki is very easy to play because it's tuned in the same way as the top four strings of a guitar. Mm. So an Irish bazooki is tuned slightly differently, which makes it uh, terra incognita for me. But um, yeah, so it's nice to get a little bit of like John Barry kind of Greek, you know, Beatles girl type mm. sound on it on the on the record. You know, yeah, as long as you can keep the bloody thing in tune, that is. Yeah, improvised solo or yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. That sounded, sounds lovely. All guitar <laughs> solos should be improvised. Yeah. People who practice guitar solos just need to be, um, yeah. Is that the Tom uh, Verlaine influencer? Yeah, I mean, I guess Tom Verlaine had Richard Lloyd, who mm. practiced very clearly, but uh, very carefully and precisely. But no, I'm, uh, I, I always, any guitar solo I play, I always improvise, probably to my detriment, mm. but I never work it out first. And say as well, you mentioned hide and seek in here. That comes up quite a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, there's the song "Blue of a Blue," which is about hide and seek. You mm. know, playing hide and seek in in Hampstead Heath with my son when he was one or two years old, and knowing that we were lost. <laughs> he didn't know it, but I did. But it was beautiful. You know, it was like the end of the year and um, or, or the, the start of autumn and. You could see the the leaves all changing. We were in a beautiful place, but I knew that if we didn't work out where we were, there would be problems when he got hungry, mm. you know. Um, and so there's kind of like playing hide-and-seek there. But there's also... The, I like the idea of hide-and-seek, and, and this is labouring it. You're asking me to, to go into my lyrics probably Sorry. too much. But, <laughs> you know, like when you're looking for someone and they're not there and you keep looking and you keep looking, well, that's that's bereavement, you know. So that's uh, that's 
the kind of the flip side to what I'm talking about, mm. slightly more, you know, un, un, unfortunate side of it. The next song on the album is called Dying in May. I mentioned this to James, it's an unusual choice for a, a single. Yeah, I didn't choose it and neither did he. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I suppose it's good to have something quite uncompromising out there as a It does seem to single. represent the album. Yeah. 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 People seem to like it, don't they? Yeah, some do. Some do. People have written to me I haven't heard of from for years saying, oh, it sounds really good, but... Yeah, it's like a nine-eight flamenco, an Arabic flamenco rhythm with mm. m- with a four-four song on top of it. So at, at each point in the bar, where the anything from the song repeats, you have a slightly different rhythmic emphasis behind it, which could be disastrous. But I actually quite like how it sounds. It was an accident that it ended up that way mm. because the the initial sampled rhythm, the little bits of flamenco drums that we used. Mark said we're in 9-8 and then he played 9-8 over it and I was like well hang on I ain't playing 9-8 this is (laughs) 4-4 so so it kind of worked and we would we had did quite a lot of back and forth about the bass didn't we you weren't you weren't you were yeah it took me a while to Mm. work out what was needed really if anything Mm. um it's quite stripped down and simple in the end but there's two bass lines being played there oh yeah there's one just drone on the same note, and then I'm just doing some very small melodies on top. Yeah. But so how I'm going to play that one live, I don't know. But That's I, Mark's problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mark's got a lot of problems with his tour. <laughs> Will he play this one live? Though? It's unlikely, I think. I think you, we're going to try it. We'll give it a go. Yeah. I mean, there's a Mellotron on it. I don't mm. want to particularly cut a Mellotron around um, America, mm. but we can do some kind of uh, potentially some some technology will help us. We'll see. We'll rehearse it and see what we can do. Mm. It's a modal scale, I think. Uh, Well, actually, I don't know if it is a modal scale, but it's a normal scale that misses out two notes, the third and the fourth note of the Mm. scale, and then just goes up. Um, Just sounded right to me Mm. for it, and obviously it echoes that same modal um, sort of like motif at the start of yeah. Fables of the Silver Link and then at the, the last song as well, Village is Always on Fire, the same kind of thing there. Mm. I don't know why, it just seemed to work. And the lyrics, again, seem seem quite feverish. They're, you know, almost these cut-up kind of images. The staircase of the houses of your aunt and uncle. Is yeah, sort of, like the, the kind of Alan Rob Grier jealousy, you know, where the centipede gets to described again and again and again and again and again. It's like... It's a, uh, it's a place that's yeah. It's like a feverish place. It's not necessarily a particularly nice one, but um, that's that. Yeah, it's a harrowing song. It's a song about something unbearable. Hopefully, people can enjoy, can dance to it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> the remix. <laughs> but the, the going back to the flowers as well. That's another Ghana thing. But. Yeah, I guess it is now you mentioned it. I was thinking more of a kind of like Irish song, you know, like mm. a folk song or something. Mm. Um, Flowers in the Valley. It's a beautiful old Irish song, and I think that perhaps be, was where the, the, the that idea came from, to try and bring that in, to try and bring something that takes you home mm. 
into this like kind of slightly nightmarish soundscape. This is Conjuring Summer Inn. I love this song though. Is, this a, is it a piano loop, a tape loop, or is it? No, it's him playing the piano all right. the way through, but it's from his piano shop, so you can hear the hiss uh, at the start yeah. because we couldn't get, we didn't actually try to get a, a different take of it because it sounded so perfect. So it was recorded on his phone? Uh, on his phone or on um, a tape machine or something, right. but not in the studio. Yeah. Um, and so he'd written that piece, and then I'd put, like, well, other than the bass, I put everything else on it. Mm. I said, oh, wait a minute, this sounds a little bit like Boards of Canada. Let's. Um, Let's see what we can do with it. Um, and we got Jessica Griffin from the Would Be Goods very, very kindly. We're very lucky that I sent her all the things to read and she didn't just, like, cancel me. She <laughs> she, she she recorded them. And, um, and then the string quartet worked. That was the first uh, string quartet scoring that we did on the record too. Um, and that seemed to work okay as well with the... So it kind of has a momentum and, and it's... I quite, I'm quite proud of that song. I like it a lot. It has something about it. It's beautiful. I think, I mean, Jessica's voice is so, it's got this really eerie quality where the first time I heard it, I almost thought it sounded like AI, like a robot voice. It almost has that uncanny valley quality to it. Yeah, because it's funny you say that because we were trying with AI voices to to do those uh those those things, you know, like the, get it, get an AI voice to read it, but mm. it just sounded. It didn't sound uncanny valley. It just sounded ridiculous valley. It sounded valley, know? yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a valley girl, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but Jessica read it beautifully. Yeah, mm. she really got what we were trying to do. It's kind of a patchwork of these different quotes. Then, it's all... yeah, there's bits from John Berger. There's bits from all over the place. Really, there's Rudyard Kipling, Puck of Pooks Hill, which is another children's book which talks about conjuring summer in mm. do not tell the, the the priests such and such or he would consider it a sin but we've been out in the woods all night conjuring summer in you know so and there's also bits from a writer called gabby wood who writes for the lrb um vernon scannell who was a poet that i remember reading at school um just lots of bits all put together in fragments to try and make something that's that's you know that has that atmosphere yeah and also the, the, the words are quite subliminal at times as well they drift in and out as well yeah so it's not yeah it's not it's not telling a story mm. it's going for that stained glass yeah mood <laughs> do you, do, speaking of kipling do you know do you know the short story they by roger kipling uh, i do uh, i have read it but i can't remember anything about it it's it's really i mean it's it is like a Cleontel song as <laughs> a story. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of about a guy who's, I think his children die and he goes to this manor house and he can hear the children in the trees, you know, and you realise they're ghosts. Uh, wow. It's, it's really, I'm really not doing it justice, but it's... Um, when the Edwardians do their kind of nostalgic ghost stories, yeah. they do them better than anyone, yeah. don't they? Like yeah. the Green Door by H.G. Wells. Oh, the, yeah. yeah the, oh, the Door in the Wall. That one. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. the Green Door obviously was shaking Stevens. But he was, <laughs> yeah. he was pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> so, Blue Over Blue... 
the first single, the video, Suits of Armour. Two drummers. Two drummers. Yeah. So it's got it's got Dan Evans, our original drummer. Ah, right. Because we were recording it and Mark was late for the studio and Dan had come along just to have a beer and hang out. Cool. Um, so we, rather cheekily we got him on the drum kit and asked him to play play the, the beat nice. and uh, recorded him. So, And then Mark turned up. Was he furious? Furious, absolutely. Right. He, <laughs> he pretended to be furious there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it sounds yeah. nice though. That but yeah, it works really well because yeah. Dan's playing some solid beat and then Mark's doing some much lighter kind of yeah. jazzy stuff. It works very nicely together. Dan has a real sense of swing. Mm. You know, like, I don't mean in terms of like Kenny G. <laughs> I mean that when he plays drums, you want to dance. Right. And that was always one of the real, the real delights of playing in the early days when Dan was in the band that that people were dancing when mm. we played and mm. and like maybe like we lost a bit of that since then so to have him back and doing those first the, the, the simpler stuff and then Mark comes in with the more shuffling rhythms later it was really nice mm. and what's doing the bang 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 is that just guitar no that's um I kind of don't know what that is. It's some kind of thing or other I did on a computer. Oh, uh, I thought that was the Sonic Boom pedal. Or no, no, yeah. no. The Sonic Boom pedal is on um, a Garden Eye Mantra. Yeah. Only that one. Oh. Definitely hear it there, don't you? So. Is that a, an, a delay pedal? Is it or? It's a pedal that a, a pedals company called Acid Fuzz. They're currently, I think they're based in Alabama now, but they were based in um, LA. They sent us a whole bunch of pedals. Because um, the guy, the lovely guy who runs it, is, is a fan of ours, and so we got Italian fuzz. And but there's this one called Sonic Boom, and it's like this huge fat pedal that has, and it's and it's wired up to sound like the inside of a Vox Star Streamer, mm. like you know the Spaceman Three songs, like Revolution, and uh, all the, the the stuff he was using it on playing with fire, that kind of rah, 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 rah noise. So. It was great. I had this pedal that went rah, 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 <laughs> and nowhere to go. Yeah. <laughs> so on every album. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not on every album, is it? Because it's like it's quite. I don't play with pedals usually. I don't like them. Mm. Um, but this was such a beautiful artisan, lovely pedal that I thought, well, we have to get some rah, 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 rah on this record somewhere. And it was God and I mantra, but the. Uh, 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 Instead of <laughs> that's more um, subtle difference. Yeah, it's a subtle difference, but a, wah, but wah, a telling wah, one. Wah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, that's really interesting. I love like the simplicity of your guitar setup live, though. I've wasted far too much money on pedals in my life. But you were saying you just it's just what, what amp do you use? It's a don't use it, amp, mate. I just, oh, really? I just, I just play electric guitar yeah. unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> Now, um, a Fender, usually a Fender Deluxe Reverb. Mm. If I'm feeling cheeky, I might go for a Vox AC30, but that's for quite a rock gig. Mm. But usually it's it's a Telecaster with um, uh, a, a Deluxe Reverb or a, a Super Reverb. Mm. That's what I prefer to play. And you, and you said with the tremolo just starting to, th- to throb, is that right? Yeah, so the because I play with my fingernails mm. and, and Fender guitars are quite trebly and Fender amps are also quite trebly, a tremolo takes some of the 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 edge off the sound, mm. you know, because it just cuts it in and out slightly. Um, but, I can, but I've played gigs without tremolo pedals, mm. but I do prefer to have a bit of tremolo there. Yeah. yeah. And, and what about you, James? What's your gear? 
Um, so Fender Jazz or Precision, depending on what mood I'm in, mm. or depending on what one is working at the time. Right. Um, uh, mostly jazz on the new album. Yeah. Um, but I may take the Precision on too. I haven't decided yet. But, nice. Um, and then ideally I would have an Ampeg to play through, but... Mm. I can't justify buying an Ampeg for the one gig every three years that we do <laughs> So in the UK. So I'll get one when we go on tour in the US, but here I'm using a Fender amp. So. Right. Um, and no pedals. No pedals. Just a tuner pedal. I love the idea of doing rig rundown with you. It's, just, <laughs> yeah. well, it's yeah. quick, at least. Yeah, it's very quick. <laughs> one minute long video. Um. <laughs> Claire's Not Real is a beautiful bossa nova-inspired tune. When we recorded this chat, it had just been announced that Astrid Gilberto had died, so I asked Alistair and James if they'd heard the news. Mm. I did, I did, yeah. It's very sad to hear. Mm. It's very sad to hear that. She listened to one of her songs, funny enough. Someone had put it on Instagram, and I heard Gilberto Gilles' band playing it. And uh, then I played Claire's Not Real afterwards, and I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite the same, is it? <laughs> people from Fleet trying to play Bossa Nova, people from Scotland trying to, you know. There's some nobility in that, I suppose. There's uh, trying to do something different and could be worse. That but, sounds brilliant. I love it. Yeah. It's one of my favourite ones on the album. Yeah. Um, I wish you could dance a bit more to it. That's my regret about that one. It doesn't mm. quite have the groove that you would expect from a Bossa song, but... Um, it's got a good chorus. It just goes into like the normal clientele thing in the chorus. It's not bossa at all. Mm. It's just four to the floor. Mm. Um, but it was super fun doing all the backing vocals and, and the string quartet background for that to really lift it, yeah. you know. Um, and, of course, the, the, the middle eight is a bit of a... Do you understand the middle eight now? The bit where the strings come in and there's a like one, two, three, four, five. da 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 because nobody else understood it at the time. Everyone said, what have, you done that? what have you done that for? I don't remember any bit that I don't understand. I had to go so, in and conduct the strings because they didn't know really? where to come in, yeah. And because oh, I was like trying to get the bossa nova conducting, they just looked at me like I was insane <laughs> and sent me out of the room again. <laughs> I, was, I was jittering too much, I think. But um, it, it sort of makes sense to me. It always yeah. made sense to me because I wrote it, but yeah, nobody could. Brian uh, O'Shaughnessy, the producer, couldn't understand why I'd done that. The string quartet couldn't understand it. I'm used to it by now. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Yeah, well, well to me, doing inexplicable things. Yeah. Or to the song. <laughs> Claire's Not Real, then, of course, has the album title in it as well. Yeah. Uh, I am not there anymore. It's a, it's a lovely phrase, and it goes back to that idea of being real as well. And also the, the Dylan, I'm not there kind of thing. And I nicked it, yeah. Nicked it, yeah. <laughs> but as well, I'm going to be out of pocket after this <laughs> podcast. I'm not even down for people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, do, do you like M. John Harrison? Have you read any of his 
books. I don't know him, no. He's very, he's very good, but his new book is kind of a memoir. It's called Wish I Was Here, <laughs> which is great as well. That's a good one, yeah. Seems to yeah. be quite similar. But um, was the, did the album title come after this song? Yeah, yeah it came from this song. Mm. We had to try and work out what sort of title to use after everything was finished. And just looking through the lyrics, it seemed to kind of echo the majority of the, the feeling of the record. Mm. And sometimes I'm walking home at my door. I am not there anymore. I am not there Claire's Not Real makes great use of minor ninth chords. And this chord is used a lot in Cleontel songs. You can hear it in Reflections After Jane and We Could Walk Together. A minor ninth chord is when you take a basic minor triad, like G minor. You then add a minor seventh, so an F in this case, to make a G minor seventh, which is like a minor chord, but even sadder. And then on top of that, you add a major ninth, in this case an A, to make a G minor nine, which is like a minor seventh chord, but even more mysterious and jazzy. It's a secret ingredient in a lot of clientele songs. You know that song, Cry Me a River? Um, and there's a, be- there's a version of it by um, Dexter Gordon that I have where it, everything is a ninth, a minor ninth chord. So mm. It's like a pure blue chord. It's yeah. beautiful. And that's um, so I found that chord just by squiggling my finger about on the top string while holding down a barre. Mm. I mean, it's not, it's quite a simple chord. Uh, and I thought, wow, I can play jazz chords now. Mm. Yeah, you know, because I was I'd played classical music really before, or, or just basic folk chords. Mm. That opened a whole harmonic world of possibilities to me. So I've used it a lot, definitely. My childhood is the March wind fires. My childhood is mauve reflected in a river. Onto my childhood, then, and we've already talked a bit about how it was transcribed. And um, yeah, I suppose I wanted to talk about the importance of spoken word songs, then, because you've done a few of those. Did were you ever going to do this yourself, or was it you thought you needed someone else? No one needs to hear this stuff in an estuary accent. <laughs> we needed we needed somebody different from me, um, who who had a nice voice. Yeah. Like Je- and Jessica has a has a, such a musical voice when she sings, but equally when she talks and um so it felt like we could we could bring her in and it gives it some focus because otherwise it would be quite chaotic you know it would be difficult to to, mm. to pass off when we recorded it in the studio um everybody was laughing really the stri- yeah the string players were trying really hard to get it but the the engineers were laughing like this is a joke right this mm. is this is so atonal this is so dissonant abrasive you know uh that why why are we even doing this but um i had an idea i had the idea that we would add something to it and and it felt important to add it really to me because it 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 was like hey we can do this we can we can we can do something that sounds like ligeti or or messiah you know and and (laughs) jessica recorded the um the words without hearing the music behind it. Oh, right. So when I sent it to her, you know, she was quite a good sport about it because she could have been, yeah. she could have been quite disturbed. But 
what did you how did you contribute to the this song james absolutely nothing absolutely yeah. nothing yeah. Yeah. yeah what did you think when you first heard it stolen from bob dylan yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i'd heard it coming together already yeah. the various files going backwards yeah, yeah. and forth so yeah it was really interesting actually once we put jessica on top it mm. it just sounded okay this is this is a song for the record now so, mm. yeah I remember you saying how good the string quartet were when we when we were mixing the actual things. You were like, "Oh, they're really good players, aren't they?" Because you can tell from that song how good they are. Well, the, yeah. the, you really notice the difference on that song, particularly the difference between the real players and the MIDI. It was just came to life right. when you heard that in the studio. It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's beautiful. It works so well in the album. Um, and again, there are some links as well. I mean, I, I imagine fifteenth of August is probably a significant date. Yes, when our villa burnt down right. two years ago. Okay. Yeah, and I was in Cerceria along, just along from through the forest, and we thought it was raining, but it was raining ash, and it was a, fo- a huge forest fire that that burnt down uh, the town of uh, Avila right. in um, in Spain, and so yeah, it was through the lyrics of that image. Mm. That image kind of crystallized, and it got used in a few different things. Yeah, you know. Claire's not real as well. It's in there. My childhood is ash from Avila, falling from the sky on the 15th of August. What's the name of the poem by Breton, André Breton, um, where he talks about my love is this, my love is Ooh. that? What's the title of it? I can never remember. No, I don't remember either off the top of my head, but... I know the poem. It's a, it's a famous surrealist mm. poem uh, by André Breton. The poem is called Freedom of Love. I won't attempt the French pronunciation. I stole the premise because mm. he said, my love is, my love's face is like this, and he gives impossible descriptions, you mm. know, or, or visionary descriptions. And I thought, well, um, I had been kind of gathering images and ideas over the years, and um, some came from, uh, you know, people like Shelley. Like, there's a letter that Shelley wrote where he talks about this familiar life, that, which seems to be, but is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that interested me, and I wrote it down. And then there was other things about forest, forest fires. There was things about, um, you know, the different, all the different images. Some, some, some in that poem I made up. Some I stole. But what I did to all of them was append my childhood is mm-hmm. before them. And ideally, the images would collapse in contradiction. They would mean, they wouldn't have a meaning. They would just have a sound. You know, the meaning would 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 fracture yeah. in a way that other poets, like other French poets, like Mallarmé, some of the, some of his poems do the same thing. So that's, that's where the idea f- from that came. That, 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 that I was collecting these images and then I found a context to put them in and then I found music to put behind that and mm. then the song was done. It's only the string players who were <laughs> a, little, <laughs> a little exhausted. <laughs> Mummified Rain is my favourite. Yeah. Extraordinary image. Yeah, yeah, it's an impossible image. Yeah. That, that's that's one I made up. It, yeah. didn't come, it didn't come from anywhere, but it's about the, the ephemeral, like how can you say what your childhood is because is it even really a thing, mm. you know? Um, and uh, we were just lucky Jessica agreed to read such nonsense. Oh, it's got that sleep furiously quality, doesn't it? 
nonsense, but something happens when you put the words together, you know, evokes something. I hope so. Mm. Yeah. Hey, Siobhan. That was the first one we did, right? So Fables of the Silverling and Hey Siobhan were from the first session. In Clank, Clunk. No, Clank. in Bark. We went to we did Bark a session. first. Did we go there first? Yeah. That's right, yes, we did. Didn't we, we did those yeah. two songs. and um, Yeah. That's like my, my Mick Head song. That's right. like, you know, yeah. that's ah. it's kind of like a Mick Head song, right? That, yeah. that it has that feel, Shaq. Um, I love I love his stuff, and I particularly love a record he did that he called the Ma- the Magical World of the Strands. Mm. I think that's just an all time great record. This one is um, I could imagine Mick Head singing it until you get to the, the the middle bit where there's all sorts of funny things going on, um, and a key change I think to B from from D. But uh, yeah, it was it was like a using lots of um using some harmonies as well yeah something that we how are we going to do it live <laughs> mark's problem <laughs> well, i remember you saying to me once that you felt quite, quite unconfident with your voice and you've never done harmonies with your own voice on record yeah. before and now but, you know why well, no, I, it sounds lovely it's beautiful those shifting chords it works so well Again, it's it's a nice thing. It's a, I guess it's a suspended thing because one of the one of the lines is the same note all the way through, and the, and the another line is that note, and then going down by mm. a, by a tone, and then there's others that go up by a tone, and so on. So it was fun to do. It kind of reminded me of the way the creations harmony sounds. I love the, the creation, um, not the not the label, the band. When they did big harmonies, they always had such a beautiful sound. Mm. Shell Tell Me must have done it for them, but I wanted to get that kind of sound, going back to the 60s thing. I, I picked up on a... Well, maybe it's just because it's a girl's name, but there's uh, the Velvets influence maybe as well. Are the Velvet Underground a big band for you? They were. Yeah, yeah they were. at the time, definitely. Right. But like, there are so many other bands that are just as good as them who yeah. don't get the same kudos. And, and I think once you've listened to them a lot, yeah. then they run out. You don't need to listen out. to them anymore, really. Yeah, yeah sure. they run out in a way the Beatles don't run out. It's yeah. really curious. Yeah. The Beatles don't stop giving you things, but the Velvet Underground, they're like chewing gum that has no flavour after a while right. after like let's say after 25 years <laughs> yeah <it's> like, <laughs> but then all tomorrow's parties what a song you know yeah and I think Sunday morning there's a huge clientele vibe in that song as well you was think? it your GCSE music we did a cover of Sunday morning for no we did um, it was the birds song that we did uh, <laughs> it was draft, draft morning, morning by the yeah. birds oh okay and then it was it mine then that we did Sunday morning for possibly yeah because I'd, I'd Kirsty, my girlfriend at the time, was singing the lead vocals. I think she sang for mine as well. Did didn't she? she? Maybe not. Can't remember. So someone must have done. Anyway, so we me. were really into the Velvets. We, mm. you know, we were very excited about the Velvets. But I think, you know, they've they've lost a lot of their luster for me. Really, right? Just threw over. Yeah, yeah. Just threw over. And Lou Reed just being such a total. <laughs> yeah. 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 Stems of Anise. Is another beautiful song, and I, I, I mentioned earlier to James that 
a lot of the songs on this side seem to be built around these looping chords that gradually layer and layer. Was that deliberate to put these songs as kind of sweet at the end? Or? Yeah, the last bit is for the for the old school clientele fans. Mm. It's like here, are, here are the. If you don't like the abrasion and dissonance, <laughs> yeah. if you dislike drum loops, well, never fear. There are four clientele songs at the end of this record, <laughs> which I guarantee you will enjoy. Rewarding your patience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do not seek a refund for your purchase. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Stems of Anise is, um, uh, there's a poem by Sappho. You know, Sappho, the, the, the ancient Greek mm. poet who, there is no um, complete thing of her, poem of hers that survives. Mm. Like people used her poems to wrap mummies and there's a lovely poem of hers which talks about stems of anise but stem weaving stems of anise into handmade crowns mm. and um that's where that image comes from and um i don't know what else to say about this song really it feels to me quite scott walkery mm. you know it's got that kind of like scott walkery uh vibe to it of course the the the, the um the string quartet moment at the start quotes uh gal costa and caetano veloso the oh. song baby it's it's it very much quotes that you know it's right. like how did they do that how did they how did they do that beautiful string arrangement oh like this all right let's put it on one of our songs too. <laughs> <laughs> i love that because it's just this little moment comes and goes you know yeah. and then the song starts yeah but then the same kind of notes come in later in the arrangement for the song that was the moment for me i got confident about string arrangements mm. i was like okay this is kind of how this is how you do one aspect of it anyway. Yeah. I love the kind of synth or organ sound, that slightly modulating sound that comes in at the end. Yeah. Was that a... Mark's problem. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Mark, Mark actually wrote that one. Right. Uh, right uh, he yeah. put that in there, yeah. Is it a synth? Is it, or... I think it was it's done a, on Ableton again. Wasn't yeah, it? so it'd be a MIDI sample or something. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sounds lovely. Yeah. So, Through the Roses is the one we've discussed. We, were you provided the arrangement? With a little help, yes, mm. quite a lot of help. It does so. sound totally very different. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does, and it's nice. Yes, but that, the, the chords for that were very again. They're very sixties. They're like, baby, you and me, we got a mm. groovy kind of love, yeah. which I love. I love that song. Not the Phil Collins version. No. <laughs> That's slightly stepping up. It goes D E minor. That kind of yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, if I fell, kind of. Yeah. yeah, so I love that stuff yeah. so much. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I could never leave that behind. Mm. Um, but it's about falling asleep when um, when you're young and falling asleep when you're old. And it's advice, really, I suppose, you know, like go through the roses, don't go into the woods, mm. don't look back, you know. I think it does have that, you know, that lovely quote you said about the, the girl who said, am I real? It's got that quality to it as the... The pipes would sing to me that weird solipsism of childhood where you think everything's happening just to you, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful lyric. And I knew that night I would sleep And the pipes would sing to me But I could not 
So I dreamed of you, Maria, as kind of the last song song. And obviously goes back to the Garden Eye mantra as well. You loop those lyrics again. It's it's really beautiful. It's like you've come through the album and then there's this really melodic spin on those lines. You know, but did you always know you wanted to end here? You don't quite end here, but it's sort of it's a kind of ending. <laughs> I mean, that song feels like you can only put that at the end of a record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got that kind of restlessness of, you know, let's let's just stop talking about all this stuff. Let's stop. Let's stop worrying about what's real and what isn't. Let's just go out. And then you're immediately defeated. You're walking yeah. home alone and you're back where you started from. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. It's just exasperation. Let's go. And then it's the story of a dream, you know, like somebody who who has been ill and, you know, sickness unto death and you see them in a dream but they're not ill anymore mm-hmm. and uh, and so on. And then at the end is really the, this for me, like the, the, main, the main moment of the record is like that um, you realise that you will die too, mm-hmm. you know. So you wake, you wake so early in the morning, you don't know who you are and, and you suddenly realise... I'm going to die as well. Mm. And uh, so that, that, that's kind of the emotional closure of the record mm. for me. It's like, that's like you get, in a way it's, it frees you because you get out from under the whole, like you, the, the, you, the being buried alive by the past, by the past traumas, by the, by the, 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 the issues and the problems you've had and you're, and because you know what will happen to you too, mm. you're free. But you don't understand that you will die until you're a certain age, I don't think. Like you wake up one day and you realise, I'm going to die. Mm. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's what that song's about, I suppose. to the people leaving for the M25 and they're still mm-hmm. leaving and but it has a different feeling it, it has a kind of descending different melody mm-hmm. to the same well different background to the same melody perhaps that um that struck me is like it resets it it makes it a different meaning so yeah, yeah this is this is the song that really um it means a lot to me through talking about you so much of the album is about loss isn't it because yeah it's about death but it's also about the loss of childhood and yeah and the, yeah 
gosh, yeah, really, really profound. Um, <laughs> Cripes. Cripes, yeah. <laughs> this is the... Yeah, this is the one where I thought there's a real Scott Walker feel. In that one morning I section yeah. sounds very that really dramatic Scott three sound. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, when I wrote the arrangement behind it, it was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it sounds like Forever Changes. Mm. But the, when I wrote the arrangement, I had a whole string section. And, and when we actually recorded the strings, it was like, no, let's just let's make this record so that you can hear every instrument. So you can hear, if you've got a string quartet, it's not like, that kind of syrupy big sound mm. you hit each of the instruments and 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 it's smaller but it's more focused it's more chamber it's it's tightly wound and focused and clear mm. and, and i think on that bit we could have gone for the big string section sound but we went for a string quartet sound instead which makes it more on a human scale i think mm. you know I, I think that's better it's we didn't give into temptation on that as yeah. far as the arrangement went my childhood And the village is always on fire. Fire is appears throughout the record as well. It's it's, yeah. fu- it's funny actually. The other day, we woke up because uh, our neighbor's garden was on fire. The shed was on fire. God. And uh, my girlfriend called the fire brigade. And first thing I thought was, it feels like I've woken up in a Cleontel song or something because <laughs> it was surreal. It was so strange. It was three in the morning, and there was this. Yeah, it was it was odd. It felt. Really uh, South London for you, isn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, this song is obviously a reprise of uh, my childhood, but with these drones and this yeah. slowed down beat. Or the bees it, buzzing. The bees The again. bees buzzing, yeah, in C major. And then um, a kind of a more hip hop y, mm. Boards of Canada style beat. Um, and then at the end, the, the lovely, the modal mm. scales come in again. Yeah. Um, but with a bit more of a bit more of a, like they have a bit more semitone Phrygian mode type stuff going on. So I don't know. It kind of sounds like a Viennese waltz or something towards the end, mm. and then everything just just dies off. Yeah, and that's the end of the record. And then if you turn, if you go back to the first song again, you get the same riff, but really, really fast. Yeah, <laughs> you Finnegan's waked it, and yeah. it's um... like, oh, <laughs> right, mate, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 I mean, you know, I don't. I don't want to keep banging on about the Beatles, but tomorrow never knows. That's what Merge said. Oh, you've ended it. It's It's your revolver. You've ended on tomorrow never knows. And I was like, oh, shit. I thought I was doing something actually original here. No. Doomed to repeat the Beatles at every step. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, I don't know. I just think it's a great way to close the album because it's almost like the credits or something, isn't it? Yeah. Getting these bits coming and going. Yeah. Oops, yeah. Well, now you mention it, it is a bit. It is a lot like that kind of the end of music has the right to children, where mm. um, they talk about censorship. Yes. In account, inexplicably and in, unaccountably. Yeah. But this is more like, yeah. The, the, I don't know. I'm struggling to find the words to explain why I put it there. But there's something about it that's kind of ineluctable. It's after all the feeling of you know, the, the really deep feeling of the song before, it's like, no, we're just going to dance off now into the distance mm-hmm. and everything is still and everything is stable and there's these beats and we're repeating the same mantras. Yeah. You know. And it's almost like, you know, the, what's the last line of Fables of the Silverlink? I don't know why. It's almost yeah. got that quality where not resolved and yeah. kind of drifting. Yeah. The idea of glass, it's cast in, mm. in glass and uh, she says it three times. 
and then it goes into the the the, the, the scales at the end. Mm. So yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for listening to the Cleontel podcast. Next week, I will be joined by drummer, pianist, and composer of those beautiful radial songs, Mark Keane. The Cleontel podcast was engineered by Jack Allen at Audio Always. It was produced and edited by me, and it was mixed and mastered by Johnny White. For tour dates and more information, please head over to thecleontel.co.uk. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at Robin Allender on social media. My website is robinallender.com and you can also check out Johnny White's music and comedy at johnnywhitereallyreally.bandcamp.com. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Clientel Podcast. All of our live problems are the property of Mark Keane.